Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you so much for the ongoing support with the podcast. We could not do this without you. And it is just amazing to hear the stories coming from people who are putting what we're talking about into practice and making change in their lives. It's why we're doing it. And I am just so glad to hear that it's having that impact and benefit on you all. We'd love to hear more of you. And what we would love is for you to send through your own version of the closing five questions that we finish each episode with. So just to remind you, the five questions, number one is what is your best childhood memory? Number two is what do you think is the biggest burden on mental health in society today? Number three is where do you see mental health in 10 years time? Number four, what is your personal definition of happiness? And number five, the most courageous thing you've ever done. We'd love to hear this from you. And if you could either send it to me uh, on Instagram, you can DM me. My Instagram's just Nick Brax, or email it to us, moveyourmind at nickbrax.com or simply through my website, nickbrax.com. We're going to collate these and read out a few of them on one of the episodes. So we'd really love to hear from you. And once again, thank you so much for the ongoing support. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name is Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Dr. Marie-Helene Peltier. Marie-Helene is a practicing resilience and anxiety psychologist and a leader with over 20 years of experience in clinical counseling and workplace psychology. One of her key areas of focus is leadership resilience. She's bilingual, holds a PhD in counselling psychology from the University of British Columbia and an MBA from the UBC School of Business. Marie Helen, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Move Your Mind. I uh, haven't met you in person. I've actually ironically been living in Vancouver where you are now and I'm now back in Melbourne, but I'm really excited to learn about everything you're doing. So thank you so much. Just to begin with, can you tell me, how did you get into the line of work that you're now in? Yes, yes, yes. I was fascinated by psychology research and everything that it, it had to give to all of us as humans to optimize our health and happiness and, um, and just how we, the choices we make um, in our lives. And so, so started with this, built on that, um, and then work brought me in northern regions of um, the province of Quebec, which is on the East Coast in Canada. And... When I was in this remote area, I was faced with how difficult it was at the time to get high quality services from this distance. And so that drove the next steps in my studies where I studied how to provide treatment via video conferencing. Um, that then required a lot of funding at the time to do this and a lot of people management. So that brought me into the business side of things. And pairing the two together, I landed in workplace mental health, a beautiful context where you can bring psychology to individuals who otherwise may not have necessarily looked into it, but there are a lot of practical applications that can truly change people and teams and organizations. So that's it. Yeah, amazing. Um, and and I, I think, like you're saying, in those in those environments, in those work environments, 
they wouldn't normally have the knowledge or access to this kind of information. But I, I feel like that's almost a subset of life in general. You know, it makes up such a, a portion. That's a huge part of the workforce. Yeah. And that's what we really see. And I've done quite a lot of work going and talking in those environments. And I've just seen time and time again, the lack of education. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you've experienced through that? There's just such a broad lack of education on mental well-being and related areas in in the workplace? I think it varies immensely. One of the things that I'm seeing is that most organizations would like it to be better. Okay, And then depending on the country you're in, the size of the organization, the culture of the organization, or even the field that this organization operates in, many variables will sort of put different groups at different places on that continuum. So some of them have been looking into mental health for a number of years and they're actually quite ahead and they're seeing the results that come with that. And then everybody else is somewhere on the continuum on their own path, just like we are as individuals really, and looking to, yes, gain even more information about what to do, what makes most sense for them, given where they are, and implementing and learning from it and continuing to grow. So uh, I would say we're still, even though there's been some good movement, uh, I would still call this a very fertile territory. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're based in Canada, but have you sort of seen from your knowledge, uh, does it seem quite varied in different countries? Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah, it seems like it's... Because to your comment earlier, mental health in general, not just in the workplace, is at different places in different countries. In some countries, it will be even more stigmatized, even more tied to uh, what we can and cannot talk about. And, yeah. and so there, it means different things for different organizations. So, so it does vary from country to country, yeah. and different countries are advancing in different ways. And, and what's interesting, of course, with us having more access to what everybody else is doing, um, being more global in our thinking and even in how organizations are structured, then we can learn from each other and continue to evolve and grow together. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a really important point. And I think the the change, it's sort of, there's so many facets to this, because if you can go and make that change in a company, and especially a large company, that's a, a lot of people. And if, if a real change is made, they're probably going to then go and pass on that knowledge and information to you know their family, their friends. And then it, it has this roll-on effect of passing on into society. So I'm a really, really big believer that um, early education, we need education in schools and, you know, we need to be taught this stuff there and in organisations. And I think if those two things can be done really effectively, it'll lead to, you know, making a very big change all around the world in in this area. 100%. And it's something that is every single individual's hands. So yes, if you're the leader of an organization or a team, you have even more potential to bring that direction. And everybody in the team can also contribute to that leadership. Everybody in the family, in the group of friends. And, And in addition to what you're saying, completely agree with this, for organizations, it also becomes something that attracts the next generations, right? Organizations that will invest even more in this kind of approach that nourish their culture in such a way that it brings it in as a strong value, then that becomes attractive to uh, new employees and it retains them too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before I go into the next question, I just want to, a lot of 
this where we like to learn about, you know, what past experiences led to this curiosity, I guess. What was your journey to sort of where you are now? How did you originally get interested in this area of psychology and go down that path? You know, what originally sparked that and drove you down into this industry? Yes, well, my father is a psychologist, so I had some early exposure to the field and his passion for it, uh, even though he was in a different um, area of psychology. Psychology is very broad, of course. And so he worked in a different area. He's now retired. Um, so I had early exposure, for sure. Uh, that being said, it was not a clear, oh, and this is what I'm doing. I was considering uh, different areas. And, and perhaps that's in part why it led to a combination of different uh, parts of my training and in what I ended up doing. But I very much followed the... Um, I'm going to say followed my nose where, you know, I initially decided in the end to start in the psychology path. And as I learned more about it, got very excited about the practical aspects of it. I'm a very applied um, psychologist and love the research and definitely have um, a keen interest for it. But what drives me the most is then translating this, digesting it and so that it could be put in the hands of all of us and implemented to, so that we can experience uh, the benefits. That's how I, uh, I would say that's probably a strong influencer of how I got in that field. Yeah, thank you. And and what you said there, I'm interested to sort of ask you a bit more about that, the practical aspect of this, because what I've experienced, and I know through the work that I've done and talking to so many people in this realm of mental health, I find, yes, it's amazing that there are so many great psychologists, psychiatrists, there's so many avenues we can go down Probably one of the number one things that uh, I experienced myself when I was going through my own journey, seeing psychologists and trying to, you know, learn and work out what to do and what I hear from so many other people is, okay, I've got the knowledge now, but how do I actually make a change? How do I do things that are practical? And it can be so varied. And I think it's a fine line because people can become overwhelmed if there's too much information or they've given, you know, too big of a task to, to do or they just don't get given, you know, the practical tools to, to make a change and it's not palatable for them. So can you sort of explain, tell me a little bit more about that practical side? Because I think it's just so important and especially for our listeners for this episode. I agree. Uh, I think this could really, you know, help them. And this is a big part again about what this podcast is about. We just want to be able to talk to people like yourself and give the listeners really simple tools that they can apply to their own lives and, and, you know, maybe not solve every problem that they're having, but hopefully make, take one step forward in the right direction. Right. Absolutely. And what is important in my opinion is that it gets to concrete applicable strategies because unless we do this, nothing's going to change. This is all going to be exactly the same here, right? So you, you could have years of knowledge over here. If it doesn't lead to you making changes, then nothing's going to change. So that's in part why this is so important. Now, this, however, is extremely important. It's not just any change. It's even though you may enjoy chicken noodle soup, it actually does not turn out to be something that changes our mental health. Right. Mm. So there are some things we know from research, and that's often part of what I see as my role, when, especially when I work with, uh, I tend to work a lot with um, the senior leaders and executives and entrepreneurs and, and, and professionals, and they're busy people, and they don't have time, yet they want solid information. 
So I can take this, distill it, and in short presentations or in short conversations, or if I'm working one-on-one -on -one with someone, then it's even more personalized, get to, so if you've got 15 minutes, one five, what do you do? Where should you put this yeah. time? Um, and so that's why it's so important. And often, in fact, when sometimes people ask me, oh, which books should I read? And, and often I say, well, which books have you read so far? And they've read many books. And so I say, no more reading books. <laughs> yes, it's useful yeah. to read in general. Like, I love books myself. However, at this point, if what you want is increase your mental health, then your next 15 minutes will not gain as much from reading a book as it may gain for do from doing something else. Yeah, no, that's, that's really great because um, that's the thing. We've all got different amounts of availability every day and... If you're feeling, if there is only 15 minutes and you're filling that with something that's not, you know, super to the point and productive and working, I guess, directly on what your current biggest issue is, then you're not, not going to make that change. And um, from what I've seen, I feel like that's been one of the biggest issues in this area. There's, I think it's really good that there's a lot more awareness now, but I think people still don't really know where to begin. And even when they do, I guess a step further to what you're saying is, okay, even if we identify that, they've now identified, okay, what's practical to me? I know I've only got 15 minutes a day. This is what I'm going to do in that period to work on this, you know, biggest, this issue that I know is going to help me at the moment. How do they then go the next step further and actually make it a routine, make it embedded in, you know, because people often at the beginning, you're motivated, you're seeing results, but a week passes, two weeks pass, and, and life things come up and we miss a day, miss another day, and, and then you, you stop. Uh, this is what I see probably as the biggest obstacle to change is the discipline to make it embedded into your daily life. Do you have some strategies and ideas around that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, perhaps two things I'll, I'll bring forward. And again, both you know, based on, on research that fairly established, um, and that could yeah. be a longer conversation, but let's focus on two things. Yeah. So especially as it relates to mental health, one of the things that uh, sometimes makes it challenging for people to implement actions uh, is the fact that sometimes people, to your, I think you mentioned this one, they, they're not sure what should be that action. And even if they hear of some of the things that perhaps they should do, they're not sure of how material this is going to be. Like, is that going to make an actual difference for me? And even if they were, say, fairly convinced that it will make a, a material change, one of the challenges is that these changes will not be short-term. And our brain functions really well with short-term gains, right? If you see something that you could get now and it looks like you want that, you're going to make this happen. If we tell you you're going to get a benefit down the road in a year, in two years from now, because you are being disciplined about this, not as exciting. So exactly to your word, it is about discipline and managing our brain, right? Similar to people who um, invest, right? Investors that every day choose where to put their money and that kind of thing. If they have their investment strategy, for example, and they see that the stocks are going up or down and they just want to change their decision last minute, they're following their emotion. The good, better uh, option is for them to remove themselves a bit, keep their strategy in mind and think long-term, which then brings more of a rational, disciplined way of thinking. If we're staying in the short term and trying to make a decision just with this, often not the best. 
So in some ways for our mental health, we need to think like an investor, investor in our mental health so that we think longer term. So that's, that's one of the things to think about to sort of combat this bias that we all have to be more focused on the short term gain. And this is not how mental health works. Investing today in your mental health is not going to make you happier in an hour from now necessarily. Sometimes it, we feel it a little bit, a little adrenaline maybe, but, um, but other than that, it will be a bit longer term. So we have to combat that uh, bias. And then the other thing too is, you're completely right, that some of that is daily habit. It is not a once in a while thing that will then build our mental health in the long term. It, it is an every day, every week. Um, action. And so, therefore, we're in the field of habit. And one of the things we know about habits is, which most people do know, is the more you can keep it stable, the better. So that's excellent. Then, but the pieces we, where we get caught, the barriers, the, the, the blind angles, um, is if we miss a day. So we had the habit, and now we missed that day. Sometimes that makes us lose the habit. And so in building the habit, again, we need to be ahead of our brain and say, okay, brain, we're going to have this habit and this is the plan. However, we're going to be flexible. If one day we're not doing this, we're still doing it the day after. If one day we don't have half an hour, we're still going to do five minutes. I was working with a physician um, and, and the physician especially in this pandemic, um, early uh, in the process was very focused on, for example, making sure that he would keep his exercise routine. And the, he did the best he could to maintain it. However, in general, and especially right now, it was harder to maintain the stability. He may go sometimes a, a group of shifts without exercising or exercising as much. However, what he committed to is that every single day he would think about it and anytime anything was actually possible, even if it was one minute, one minute plank, anything, he would do it so that it stayed on the radar. And the moment he could bring it back, he would. Right? So we want to build the habit, but build the flexibility so that you're going to have to be ahead of your brain if you cannot maintain that exact stability. Yeah, look, so many things in there that I, I think are so valuable and I want to sort of expand on a couple of them. But yeah, I think there's there's just so many amazing points there, and I love what you're saying about not about the flexibility with it because I I know that when you if you sort of put too much pressure on it, it it also be, it becomes a chore and it becomes something that you associate with pain or discomfort, and you don't want to do it. and And I've found this uh, with a lot of the things I've tried to change and create into a habit. Um, when I've looked at it from the sense of I have to do it. I don't want to, you know, this is too much. Even when you do go and do it, you feel like you're really just struggling through it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas when you um, just take that pressure off and think, you know what, even if, I, if I'm if i setting 30 minutes is what I need to do of, I'm saying I have to do 30, you, you, you'll, you won't, you know, enjoy the, the actual process of doing it. But if you say, look, 30 would be great, but I'm just going to see what I can do. Normally, once you start, you'll end up doing the 30 or more anyway. So it's more getting started is the, the tricky point. Um, and I, the next thing I wanted to ask was how, how long do you think roughly? I mean, there's so much information out there. How long roughly does it take to sort of make and break habits? Because oh. um, I, I, I guess there's no concrete information about that, but I know there's um, lots of different, uh, um, you know, 
different information thrown around about that? Do you have like a broad sort of like, uh, advice we can give about what to have in your head when you're trying to create a habit, how long, you know, you should try and commit to it? Uh, ha. It's a tricky answer. Um, I'll give you perhaps mm. elements of answers uh, because, you know, I could say, well, you know, some research says three weeks, some research says, you know, X amount of time. And, and there's different research showing different mm. amounts mm. of time, which usually is around uh, that realm. But it depends on, on, on so, so many variables. And what's tricky with even stating any amount of time is is that it almost feels like, well, once you've reached it, then it will just be in. And that's not how human works will be impacted by circumstances. Right now, for example, a number of people have seen their lifestyle changes. Perhaps some people were very used to a certain practice of, say, whatever, going to a class or a gym um, a few times a week or whatever they were doing. And it is not something they can do right now. So it's not because they've established it for, I don't know, three years, mm. but perhaps that it solves right now. I'm talking, I do have uh, individuals I work with right now who were in that category, very solidly established routine of exercise. And now for two months, not doing much. And so, mm. it, right? Mm. So there will be circumstances, whether, I mean, this one is a bit uh, more extreme and, and global and all, but it, sometimes it will look different, but there will be other types of challenges that will come. And so yeah. I think the, the, the approach I would suggest is you stay focused on your values, what's important for you, why are you choosing to do this? I very much mm. agree with uh, your point about the idea is not to put pressure, but to be disciplined about it's a priority for me and I will make the time for this on a regular basis. And if the time is not entirely there, then any amount of time will be better than nothing. Often I say anything is better than nothing. And because yeah. not because you're going yeah. to become, you know, stronger uh, with, with your muscles if you just did one minute, it probably will not change that much from a pure physical perspective. But what you're doing is you're maintaining the focus. You're keeping this high on the radar such that uh, you'll be able to scale it back up the moment the time is uh, there for you. Yeah, I, th I think that's really powerful. Any, anything's better than nothing. And I, I've seen that as well with exercise, especially so many people that, that I've, I've exercised all my life and I've kept doing it through this period. And I've actually applied exactly what you said there where because it's a value for me though it's not about it it is embedded so and it, it's funny i was watching um a bruce lee documentary last night actually and he was talking about you know be like water and you know how water can sort of adapt to any environment it's put in and i think that's so you know relevant to what you've just said it's sort of this is an extreme situation we've all been through at the moment well we can still exercise you might not be able to go to a gym, you might be limited in time or location, but you can do something. You can adapt and find a way to do it. And yeah, that's, I think it's people need to understand that, you know, aligning what we are wanting to change or work on with our value system rather than, you know, the external sort of side of it. Um, and it, it ties into what you said before about looking at it like an investor would look at. And I think that just applies to every facet of life not just mental health and it's a big problem in society now i mean we are living in such a 
consumer-driven society, social media, mass media consumption. Everyone's comparing themselves to someone else. Everyone's wanting instant results. And that's all training our brains to actually lose our values and look at how do I just quickly get that. And the reality is it doesn't matter if we get the result or not. It's actually about what we do daily and what we care about personally. But how can we try and... um, you know, navigate that in the the world we live in now where you wake up and look at your phone and, you know, you're exposed to so many potential triggers and areas to compare yourself to. And how do you get your mind just staying in, no, I'm going to stick to my values and do what's best for me? Because it's, I find that tough. Even with all the knowledge and doing all the stuff I'm trying to do to stick to it, it's a daily, um, you know, tug of war. Yes. Yeah, no, it, 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 you're very right. It is something that's there uh, for most people. And so, well, a couple of ideas um, to consider there, um, you know. So, agree that we want to start from our values. So, the more you can gain clarity on what your values are. And literally, again, let's get very digested here, concrete. Uh, the way this could look like is you sit down with a sheet of paper and a pen and you identify what are my top 10 values. And often when I suggest this, I even say, don't get hung up on the word values, just think what's most important for me in life. So if you value mountains, mountains goes on the list. Okay, so that's gaining clarity on your values. And then you want to bring these values in your daily choices and and weekly choices as much as you can. So that's one. The other thing too, and I love that you brought this example because so many people are um, woken up either because their alarm is on their phone uh, or the phone just is by the bed. And Mm. actually, you know what? We know from research, uh, from a sleep hygiene perspective, you actually don't want the phone in the bedroom. Buy Mm. an alarm clock, different, outside, not not the phone, so that you can have something that wakes you up that's not going to be your phone. And possibly... When you do wake up, don't go to the phone first. Time for you first. Time to possibly, if you wrote your values, read your values and think about how you'll bring them in your day, you know, that day. Um, because the otherwise, um, the phone will be very present in our lives anyway. And if you do not create these boundaries, the phone will be present all the time. And it makes it even mm-hmm. easier to be um, uh, more focused on this. So even sometimes I'll, I'll suggest um, the other thing related to phone, just one last piece, because it is a nice, very nice, again, and very digested opportunity here to improve our well-being. Because, you know, in the actions that we could take to improve our physical, um, well, physical and mental health, as well as our resilience, the top three are exercise, nutrition and sleep. And one of the main barriers to good sleep right now is the amount of presence of the electronics in our lives. And so one of the best ways to start clearing this a little bit is the phone does not come in the bedroom. The phone or any other electronic is not part of what we do an hour before going to bed. So instead, brain can relax and do something Mm -hmm. that will prepare it for sleep. So there are things like this that we can consider changes that sound easy, not that easy, require um, um, focused action to make happen for most people, but then pay off. And we know they do based on research. Yeah. And 
what I love about everything you're telling me here, um, and I'm, you know, I'm applying this as you're saying it to my own life and thinking, yeah, it's, it's so practical and it's not overwhelming what you're saying, even what you've said there about it's about making boundaries and it's not saying, you know, none of us can avoid using the phone or these different, you know, things that might become unhealthy. So we can't avoid it. They're, they're tools that are, have positive aspects as well and we're going to need to do certain things every day, but it's about boundaries. It's about this is my period where, you know, do this and this is where I have my time out. And I think those boundaries, if we can be really firm on them, that's what's going to keep us in line because if you don't have boundaries, then it can vary so vastly day to day and who knows where, you know, things are going to lead. So it's a really, really important point what you've said about about having the boundaries with everything. Yes, and if even in the current context, a lot of people are finding as they say, for example, work from home more. We won't get into details today, but one of the things to really consider is creating boundaries, right? So that you feel, even though you may be alone in a same smaller space where you do work and you do non-work time, creating boundaries there is very important. And if you are living with other people, whether it's a partner or children, then again, boundaries that worked before in the setup we had may need to be changed for this time so that people have their individual time, they have their couple time or overall family time. Or if the person lives on their own, where is my boundaries between work? And then how do I shut down out of visible eye, even like blanket on the table if you need to, so that, again, back to practical, um, so that you create very clear boundaries to help your brain uh, leave this and focus on different things so it actually really gets a break. Mental health and well-being are real issues in the construction industry. Men in construction are twice as likely to take their own life compared to the ones who work in other industries. And that's just not good enough. With John Holland's help, we want to make a change. We've joined together to have honest conversations about mental health, life, and stories of people who have overcome challenges. When we hear about stories and struggles that sound a bit like ours, we can learn from each other and remember that we're not alone. You know, probably not just when things start to improve a bit at the moment, I think people are going to now be working from home to some capacity more. So then it needs to be understood. And I've just heard so many examples of people saying, look, I'm just, I just can't do it. I'm not the kind of person that can work from home. It's driving me crazy. So it is, how do we find that happy medium? Having that routine, being more disciplined. If if you don't have the discipline with it and you sort of just wake up whenever you feel like it and you don't get, I think even things like, since I've been, um, you know, back in Australia and working from home, I'll get up and do all my exercise and those sort of things and then get dressed as I would if I was normally going to go out into the real world and, you know, do stuff. Because it just makes you feel like, you know, you, that's your workday starting and you sort of got to, you know, have those categorise it like that. Um, so, yeah, really, really important thing. Um, I was going to ask you as well before, um, I, I know I've seen this as a really big issue, um, workplace burnout. Have you seen that as being uh, problematic? And, you know, how what can be done about that? Because it seems like it's worse than ever. And I think probably a lot of it's, you know, from the fact that we can't switch off, you know, like what basically tying into what you've, you know, the advice you've given us before about setting boundaries and all these sort of things. We, whether we're at work or not, you know, you can be lying in bed at midnight and still checking emails and worrying about 
you know, different things. There's no sort of boundaries with that. So, yeah. Yes. Although I, not anymore because the phone will be outside of the bedroom. So that's not going to happen. So. Then it will help. Yeah. Keep the phone outside, everyone. <laughs> that's right. Um, but burnout, significant issue, definitely. And we do have research uh, giving us burnout rates in different um lines of work or professions and it is fairly high and increasing um, and in burnout just so we know it's it's a it's considered an occupational phenomenon so it's not a diagnostic even though it could lead to diagnostics like you know um, anxiety or or depression but the it's characterized burnout by mostly three things you get you, you've got exhaustion uh, you've got cynicism and then it, it impacts your performance so it usually happens because the individual tries to solve a situation in the, uh, in the workplace, where, wherever that is, right now the workplace may be in your home, but related to, to work, and the efforts to solve it are not successful. So it gets to a point where it gets to the person and they get into burnout. So definitely a significant issue. The World Health Organization is uh, talking about it, um, as well as other aspects of mental health. And a couple of things are interesting with burnout, um, because there are discussions about can, what can the individual do to avoid burnout, protect their resilience, things like that. And there are conversations about it's the context that created it so that that's where the solution is. And what I think we need to keep in mind is that it really is both. I've seen workplaces that have a fantastic culture and still some people burning out. And I've seen mm. situations where people were, in, were not burning out in very difficult cultures. So do they influence each other? Absolutely. The work is good for us, but work conditions can be not so good for us as well. So again, to get to the practical, there are things that um, we can do, we can influence in our workplaces that will decrease the risk. Yes, there is all the things we can do for us as individuals protecting our resilience, for example, through sleep, nutrition, uh, and exercise. And there are some other ones as well. So the more we can increase our baseline, right, be as strong and resilient as we can, the better. But it's not all. That's, that's not 100% of the equation. Some of it is here. And the World Health Organization has put together guidelines. They've issued them in 2019. Um, Previously in Canada, we happen to have the Mental Health Commission of Canada that had issued a national standard on uh, psychological health and safety in the workplace. That's a long name. But basically, if you look, look up mhcc.ca, Mental Health Commission of Canada.ca, you'll see those 13 factors, one, three. And a number of these factors are also in the recommendations of the World Health Organization because they're based on research, really. Uh, but mm. things like making sure that as an employer, we're paying attention to workload. We are paying attention to involving employees in uh, influencing some of the decisions that we're making, making sure that we're creating processes to recognize and reward employees. And these things are, have all been shown by research to have an influence on the overall health of teams, organizations, and individuals. Um, it, or another um, action, concrete action that has been shown by research to make a difference is to provide mental health training to managers. Now, of course, if we could provide training to everyone in the workplace or in the world, for that matter, that would be fantastic. Sometimes, however, resources are limited or you have to start somewhere, then 
research tells us that starting with the managers, because of the influence they can have on, on the cultures and on their teams, uh, is a good place to start. So burnout, significant issue, but there are actions we can take to, to help. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a, a really important one, trying to have really good education from the top down, teaching managers these different this information that they can pass on to you know to the rest of the organization i think that's a really important thing because like you said in an ideal world there'd be enough money and resource to be able to teach everyone in the world but um to to be able to do that it does take you know a lot to have the chance to do it um i just wanted to ask you and i know you're you know you're really big on resilience it's a big area of what you do um i guess two questions here um what are the main things we neglect when it comes to our mental health and how can we build more resilience? Yes. People sometimes brush it off. Like they say, oh yeah, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Wait a second. If right now I could ask every single one of your listeners and say, sit down with me. Tell me how much exercise have you done every day in the past seven days? Give me the total. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many minutes do we have? Do we have 30 minutes five times a week? Maybe, maybe not. If I asked, how many hours of sleep have you been getting each night for the past seven nights? Did you get seven or eight hours? Was the phone out of the bedroom? (laughs) Um, And your nutrition, how were you doing on making sure you eat as healthy as possible so that you can protect your mental health? Because we actually know from research that healthy diet, the same type of diet you would eat to protect yourself from risks of cancer or cardiac problems, will decrease your risk of depression and it varies between study to study, but studies have shown rates between 30 and 60% decrease rate. So it's fairly significant. So when we're saying exercise, nutrition and sleep, it is material. It is not just if you have time, if you feel like it, give me other ideas, I may try something else. No, they're the first three and they're critical. So these are critical, but I'll give you a couple of others that people don't think about as much. And uh, they're, they're nice additions and also things you can actually bring in your workplace or in your uh, circle mm. of friends. So one of them is, it's especially true right now, but it was true before now anyway, is to pay attention to labeling your emotions. Huh. So it, it, people who are used to speaking about their emotions say, oh yes, it feels good to talk about them. It's beyond that. We actually know from neuropsychological research that if I'm faced with a challenge, and therefore my brain interprets this as a threat because you know there's something that's not what i was expecting so the threat center goes on if as i'm looking at this challenge i label my own emotions for myself in my head i don't even need to talk to someone or write them down i could just do it in my head although i could do these these other ways if i'm going with oh i'm really worried about this situation i'm scared that i have no solution for this but i need to find one then the alarm center in my brain looks at this other center that I now activated by labeling my emotions and says, oh, she's, she's got this. Like she's looking like she's gonna figure this out. And so the alarm center, which usually will throw cortisol and other things that would make me feel very tense, it calms down, which then allows mm-hmm. me to think better mm-hmm. about this solution um, or situation. So concretely, what does that mean? For us ourselves, when we're dealing with something challenging, taking time to label our own emotions, and we can do this for people around us. They tell us, Mm -hmm. oh, this happened, this happened. How do you feel? How did that make you feel? We're just giving them opportunities to label, and that will help. 
So that's one, the labeling of emotions. It's actually a, a good, powerful tool, easy to bring. And another one that I would say is to keep a growth mindset. Growth mindset being, if something's not going well, we're not sure how to figure it out, but we still think we will find a solution, even if we have no idea right now, then it puts our brain in a position to have all its components function better and function better together to find a solution. So yeah. if we're working with a team at work or we're dealing with something with friends or even on our own facing a tough situation, if we take a moment to tell ourselves as simple as this, back to the concrete applicable, I have no idea yet how to figure this out, but I will and I'll learn from it. It puts us in a better position. Yeah, I think that's really, really great and very practical. I mean, before delving into anything you know, bigger picture or, or even, you know, some of the things you're saying, I guess it's sort of a, a lot of it's mindfulness techniques that you're talking about there. But before we even go into that, let's look at the absolute fundamentals. Are we getting enough exercise? Are we sleeping enough? Are we eating well? If not, let's, you know, be honest with ourselves, look at it properly. If not, let's fix that first or try and improve that and then move on to starting to look into some of these other areas. And, um, you know, it's a really simple and practical way to, to look at it. And I think it's so true what you're saying. I really like that about um, the labeling of emotions. And, um, you know, we can talk about things and be open, which is great. But if we are telling ourselves that we're conditioning ourselves to think that we're not capable or not enough or we're wrong because we did this or that, that needs to be changed because it's just a story that we're, that we're feeding ourselves. And um, it won't change until we start to relabel how we look at different things. I often say you know, I give these suggestions and my suggestion is to try them first. And mm. that being said, sometimes we try to implement these things and they're hard and we, yeah. we're struggling and we're stuck. And even given our best efforts, it's not happening. Sometimes then there are other pieces going on for us and we need a second head to think through this. And that's usually when I say, get a resource. If you were in an organization and you were faced with a new challenge that the team cannot figure out, you'd get a consultant. That's what organizations do. They get someone who specializes in this, bring them in, fix the situation and keep going. So sure. as individual, it's often a good analogy to just think the same way and, and think, okay, there are some things I want to shift with my mind, my, my psychological health and how I'm doing things. I've been educating myself and thinking about what I should be doing. Some of that I'm able to do, some of that I'm just not getting there. The negative self-talk keeps going in my head and I can't stop it. Get some help, get, get the, the resource that will help you figure it out. You'll save time. It's a bit of work, um, but worth it. And then it stays with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. And I think that applies to everything in life as well. We can often, expect ourselves to have all the answers and we can't you know anyone that achieves anything in life didn't get there on their own we it, we're you know a sum of all of the different people that we bring on and we all need help so it's um i guess having that self-awareness that hang on i'm struggling with this particular area how can i solve that through different avenues yes and i see more and more people doing this like and and yeah. doing this more proactively than before Almost, um, actually, not even almost, I've got some people coming to me and saying, this is part of my competitive advantage. I want to be mm. so optimizing how I handle these things 
that I'll bring really my best to both my professional and personal life. So yeah, more and more people are catching on to this. Fantastic. With the coronavirus, with the probably prolonged uncertainty that's coming with that, you know, how can people on a really simplistic level try and navigate this uncertainty and find, you know, peace of mind in their day-to-day life while the world is in this situation? Yes, yes. So back to one of the things I would say is first, let's acknowledge that some of that is so understandable and normal. It's almost bringing this self-compassion to allow ourselves to, if, because if we're going to ex- want to experience the positives uh, in managing the uncertainty, it's okay to acknowledge the tough sides because then we're in acknowledgement mode, which then allows us to experience the full range. So if we were trying to only feel okay or good in this context, that probably is not realistic. We want to allow ourselves to experience the full range, with then, which then makes it possible to, yes, find also the positives and, and the good sides. Um, and so in navigating the uncertainty, there's a couple of things. It's as if this situation, of course, brings uh, more attention to uncertainty. At the same time, had we really sat down before all this and thought about the world in a realistic way, we may have realized that there was less certainty then than we assumed there was. So we want to take a bit of a perspective, a step back looking at this to realize, yes, there is an element of uncertainty that was not there before, true. But before, there was likely more uncertainty than we were really actually paying attention to. So it decreases the gap. That's something to to consider just for our frame of mind there. And then there will be aspects, of course, we still won't be able to influence or have control over. If we broaden the range again and look for what do we have control over, what can we influence in this overall context, then that's where we can start being um, in more what we call active coping. Uh, And there's research about this too. So when we are faced with a situation, if we are doing what we call active coping, so actively looking for solutions, trying things, we will overall build more of a resilient state than if we are passively coping, which means we're doing nothing, we're not taking action. And what's fascinating with the research on this is that even if our active coping does not lead to successful solutions, just the fact that we were trying something puts us on a better path. I mean, practically, it's mm. also useful because the more you try, the more you can figure something mm. out, probably. Mm. But see, again, on the very practical side, what that suggests is even if we're not sure if it's going to help or mm. not, if we think it may, let's give it a shot because maybe. I, I think that's fantastic. And I think that's such a great point for everyone, you know, even when you feel helpless or it might not work. Um, cause I, I know how true that is. I know there's so many times I've felt helpless and, um, you get stuck in this thought pattern and it becomes worse and worse and you feel stuck. And when I, when I did pull myself out of that and just try and do anything and it actually didn't, you know, a lot of the time solve the problem, I felt better. And I was like, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, that really changed my whole psychology. So it's again, such a simple thing that is applicable and it's removing any results-based expectations. It's just doing things and trying at least. It, 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 it does make a fundamental difference. And, and the other thing I really love what you said, which 
just is so true, isn't it? There's never that much certainty in most areas of life. And I think because this has been such a huge global thing, it's made us all think that now we don't have any certainty, but it's really just put to the forefront a lot of things that are already there. We we hide our fears about um, what's going to happen in life through distracting ourselves, through maybe overworking, through TV, through different addictions, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, to block your mind from being able to get to that point where we can accept that it's okay. It's okay if I don't feel great right now. It's okay if I don't have all the answers. But you know what? I'm go- I'm still going to focus on the positive sides of things and what I can try and control. And who knows what will happen with the rest? And you know, that's a this is a great opportunity for for people to really um, challenge a lot of thinking patterns that are going to not only help them cope with what's happening in the world right now, but set you up to really cope, you know, long term with um, where whatever you know path you go down. Yes. In, in what you're saying just now, you're bringing together very nicely the components of compassion and taking creative action, right? Mm. And, and if I bring this to another example of, say, in the workplace right now, what kinds of things can team supervisors or team members do, and it's actually been researched, um, is to really bring, um, to bring emotional support so we're communicating and helping people express what they're dealing with um, so that we express that we also care and 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 get it um, look for ways we in which we can be sort of practically helping sometimes changing we can't change a workload but we can change the influence on what happens when maybe so there may be other mm. places where we can control so being very practical about this the other pieces is and that ties back to earlier comments you made also, is the modeling. Anytime we do something for ourselves and we share this to others, we give visibility to others about what we did because they may not have seen us do that, then we're modeling this behavior. And especially if you're in a leadership role, you're then reminding people to do that. That that provides a message, a strong message, that in this culture, mm-hmm. we value protecting time to go do take do this, take care of yourself, do exercise, for example, or whatever it is. And, and sometimes what is going to be needed are very creative solutions. Right? Sometimes it's not going to be something we've done before, but if we are in that mode of being supportive of the team, even more in times like this where there, there are additional unexpected stressors, then we will go through this better together. Mm. Yeah. And being able to think outside of the box and be creative yes. like that and not follow convention all the time. Yeah, and we need that in all, all areas of life, I think. It's really important. Um, well, look, we've covered so many amazing things here and I think this is going to add so much value to um, the listeners that tune into this. I majorly appreciate it. I always finish up um, every episode with a few quick-fire questions. Um, so there's just the same ones we finish every episode with uh, – as a bit of a narrative to sort of see, you know, the different answers that come up so they can be short answers. But before I do that, I just wanted to ask, um, is there any final bits of advice or anything, any, and we'll leave this in the sort of show notes as well, but is there anywhere people can go if they want to learn more about you, if they want to look at your work, if they want to, if an organization wants to try and book you for, um, you know, a speaking engagement, where, where can they go to learn more about that? 
Yeah, they can come to my website. It's uh, dr, like doctor, mh, like Marie Helen, and then my last name, p like Peter, e l l e, t like Tom, i e r dot com. Okay, great, great. And, and I'll put that in the notes as well, so they'll, they'll know where to go. Um, so for these closing questions, um, the first one is uh, best childhood memory. Yes. Well, so I am from province of Quebec on the East Coast in Canada. I now live on the West Coast. But in yep. Quebec, there's many, many lakes, lots of water uh, in that province. And we used to go to a lake that is very large, so large you cannot see the other side. So as a child, it felt like I was at the sea or something on a, on a windy day. And so, um, and we went there every summer because my extended family was, was there. So it was just beautiful in the nature, community, family, and, um, and just time close to the water, which I guess I found on the other coast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I know what you mean based on what, what I've seen in Vancouver living there. It's, um, it's incredible. British Columbia is just absolutely amazing. It's, it's yeah, unbelievable. Um, what do you think is currently the biggest burden on mental health in society? Ooh. Uh, can I say three? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so the, I do have to go first with stigma. Uh, still, even though we hear about it a lot, even though it is better than what it was, it, uh, it is there. If I had a magical stick and I could get rid of one, that would be the one for sure. And I think it would change things quite significantly. So you know, I'll say that first. The second, I'd say access to resources um, because then we talk more about it um, and we, we're going to need more resources. And some of that may involve artificial intelligence in the future and all, but right now it is, uh, I think, a challenge. And the third one is what we were talking about earlier, the fact that uh, it, it does not lead to immediate outcomes. And so our brain gets in the way of investing today because it's for long-term gains. And so the more we get better at seeing that connection, almost decreasing that psychological distance between our actions today and our mental health down the road, um, if we could get rid of that barrier, that would also help us. Yeah, three very important points and yeah, great summary as well of you know what we've spoken about. Where do you see mental health being in 10 years' time in society? Yes. So I, it's in part a wish, but I think it's also in part a trend. So I think I'm going to trust that. Um, I think yeah. it will be better in terms of uh, continuing to decrease the stigma um, because we have seen a significant change. In, even though different countries work differently, I think if we could take a world temperature, um, it, it, it overall is moving towards uh, less stigma. So I think we will see even less of that. And I do think we will have um, AI, artificial intelligence, helping out on the resource front and not just helping out in terms of it, le you know, it lands a hand and it helps with providing uh, supports in various ways, but in some ways it will do some things better than, than what some humans are, what we do as humans. So, um, so we want, hmm. probably I think it's going to be a combination, not just one or the other, uh, an opportunity to help with resources, but I do think AI is, uh, has good promise. Yeah, great. Um, what's your personal definition of happiness? Ah. Well, I'll tell you a fun thing about this. Many years ago, I had the chance to work 
as a researcher. That was during my graduate studies. I was working as a researcher for a radio show about psychology. Um, and so what I had to do is find researchers that would speak uh, about their topic. And I found this fabulous, fabulous researcher, Ed Diener, Dr. Diener, who was doing research on happiness. Well, that is 20 years ago. He is now considered a pioneer in happiness research. I had a good nose, um, but um, he, uh, he's now in his 70s. Um, but one of his, one parts of, when a part of his work um, is reminding us that happiness is about having clarity on our values and bringing them into our lives. Hence, some of what we were talk talking about earlier. I'm going to go with that definition, having as much clarity as we can about our values, which are very personal to each of us, and working every day and every week to bring as many of them in our lives in different ways, big and small, but keeping that as our guiding star. Okay, great. No, that, yeah, that's an amazing answer to that one. Um, so f final one, um, most courageous thing you've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if courageous is stepping in the unknown, of course, some people would, would have done, you know, massively significant um, things. For me, one of my experiences of doing this is moving from the East Coast to the West Coast uh, in, in Canada, uh, even though it's within the same country, it sounds simple, perhaps. Uh, it is not. It w certainly wasn't mm -hmm. at the time. For me, it meant um, losing my... Um, professional title because we're regulated by province and at the time that was uh, for all kinds of reasons uh, what what happened as a first first step different language on my own no community um, I also mm. moved before being accepted in the program so I it was a bit of even more stepping in the unknown um, but similar to going on a mountaineering adventure you know, you plan for as much as you can for where you're going and just be prepared for the adventure and navigate as you go through, which is what I did. And uh, very happy with uh, what I was able to do with it and what uh, the contexts were, uh, um, the contexts that were there for me as well. So that that's not what I would say for that one. Absolutely. And it is a big thing to do that. So look, thank you so much for coming and speaking to me today. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm positive that everyone listening is going to get a lot of, really great advice out of this that they can put into their own life so yeah feel very fortunate to have been able to have you on here all the way from vancouver uh and yeah thank you so much thank you nick it really was a pleasure thank you this episode of move your mind was produced and edited by tim boozer would like to thank john holland for proudly sponsoring this episode thanks to marie helene peltier for joining me today for move your mind Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Move Your Mind. We're going to be releasing new episodes every week and we would love it if you could subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a comment, leave a star rating, recommend us to a friend and help support us on this journey. Join me, Nick Brax, in Mental Health Masterclass where you can access cinema quality essential mental health education from world leading experts anytime, anywhere. Each 12 to 15 minute module comes with comprehensive workbooks and a range of printable books with optional tasks, behavior change tools, information, and guidance to create healthy, preventative long-term habits. Go to courses.nickbrax.com to enroll, or simply go to nickbrax.com and click on the Mental Health Masterclass icon. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.